Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. One of a brand new series. That way you don't come in on week three and be like, what's going on here? And so uh, we will take the next few weeks to look at this idea. Everybody say struggles. Everybody say hashtag. I have me familiar with hashtag. Everybody, everybody in on hashtag? That's a no. Oh, how many have no idea what a hashtag is or what? Yeah, okay. So, okay, let me, let me help you out real quick here. So, um, first of all, let me just say this. I love technology. Can I get a what, what out there? Like, I, y'all don't love technology? Y'all's tripping right now because, like, when I talked to my great aunt and she talked about the good old days, they had an outhouse. So, uh, technology is amazing. And if you don't like it, then you can go back then. And so, and not have indoor plumbing or electricity or, you know, anyway, I love technology and technology is incredible. And what we are able to accomplish today is fascinating. It is amazing. It is mind blowing the stuff that we come up with. But what's interesting is, is that because of technology, we're actually creating kind of new issues, new problems that we couldn't even foresee, things that like we didn't know would be an issue and now they're an issue and we didn't, you know, when your soul's not prepared to handle a thing, it can kind of like get caught off guard and I'm telling you that technology has done that and so again, I, I love technology, let's, let's talk about this real quick here because the internet in particular and some of the, the, the technology devices that we have, they're, they're game changers. So how many of y'all remember when email was first introduced? You may remember their, your first account? Like AOL, remember the, remember the sound it would make? You young people don't even know. Remember the sound you would make? Like, and it was like, that was your computer trying to log on to the internet. It was, it was crazy. And, and you know, how many of you remember like, like when, when texting became popular? Do you remember that? I resisted texting for a long time. I thought texting is dumb. This is backwards technology. Like, if I can talk to you, that's, that's more advanced than me sending, like, a little tiny message. And then I realize, no, texting is brilliant because now I don't have to talk to you. That's, <laughs> that's, what I, that's, why, that's why you text. And so then, and then, so you got emailing and you got texting, but then the world of the internet exploded. And then, like, everything became a possibility to where, like, how many of y'all know, like, online shopping? Where, like, my wife is a is a black belt in online shopping. She can find a coupon for anything. She always gets free shipping. Amazon Prime, can I get an amen out there? Amazon Prime. And you can just, and then like, so her, she'll just like have clothes sent to her. She just tries them on and she's like, I like this. And then she's sending all this back. And I wish she'd send back more. But, but like online shopping, online banking. Remember, remember, remember when you used to have to drive up to the, and remember you'd all, they'd like three lines and you'd all drive up and remember they had that tube thing and you put the tube, you know, remember that? Some of y'all, young people, is anybody, am I speaking a foreign language to some of y'all? It's all good. It's all good. Um, but the, the, but the phone is incredible. Like what you can do in an instant when you grab your phone, you can check the weather, you can check the stock market, you can kind of, you can kind of do all kinds of cool things. And then of course, one of the big phenomenons is like social media. So you got all these kind of ways of like connecting and seeing the world now. So we got, how many are on Twitter? Does anybody tweet? We got a few tweeters. Uh, Facebook, so I mean, most, most everybody's on Facebook. LinkedIn, it's two of you. Okay, so I don't, get, I don't get LinkedIn. I don't, people keep inviting me to LinkedIn. I'm like, I'm not on LinkedIn. Um, how many of y'all Insta? You some, or Gram? What do you Gram it? What do you do? Gram that? 
Is that what you say? Okay, Pinterest. What's the difference between Pinterest and Instagram? Isn't it just pictures? It's totally different. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't Pinterest. Um, Snapchat? See, that feels like, that feels like sexting is what that feels like. That's, that's what that was designed for. If you don't even know what that is, you don't want to know. So, but, but hashtag, everybody say hashtag. So this is what hashtag is. So if you know what a hashtag is, it's people that, that tweet, even though I don't tweet, I, I watch Jimmy Fallon, so I know what Twitter is. And so when, when, you, when you tweet something, you make a comment, and how many characters do you have? 140 characters or less. But then at the end of your little message, you have to put like a little tag to it, and it's hashtag something. And the way this originally started was is like old school uh, computer programmers would hashtag stuff so that you knew how to, that, that's where it all came from. So when the Twitterverse broke open, they would use hashtags. And so what you do is, is you have a message, but then you put a cute, funny hashtag sub message to kind of like, does, does that, you know what? I'm going to show you one because I found one that was funny. So if you don't know what a Twitter is or a tweet or a hashtag, this is what it looks like. So Jay Allen here on Wednesday, this was his post. He posted this. I left the toilet seat up yesterday and at 2 a.m. this morning, it finally happened. To all the women in my life, past, present, I apologize, especially my grandma. I get it now. Okay, that's his message. But then he went crazy. See all these little hashtag whatever? So he says, hashtag, my knees hit my chest. Hashtag folded like a lawn chair. Hashtag scariest moment of 2016. Hashtag I knocked everything off every counter on my way down. Hashtag all my life. I had to fight. Hashtag so, so cold. Hashtag for some reason I yelled, who is in here as I was falling. Hashtag thought I was being attacked. Hashtag I was still asleep. Hashtag survivor. So now you get it. So what you do is you tweet, you tweet things and then you put a little hashtag so that people can look up how to find what you tweeted. Does that, so we're all tracking now? Hashtag. So now here's the deal though. Because of technology and the internet and particularly social media, again, we are experiencing things that we have never experienced before. And I want you to know, like, I love social media. Like, in so many ways, it's fun because I get to catch up with people that I went to high school with. I get to catch up with old friends I went to college with. I get to watch really, really funny videos. Like, I just saw a video. Oh my gosh, this was last night. I was laughing out loud. I have a friend in South Africa and his wife is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and she posts everything constantly. She's, she's a little crazy. And uh, she posted the funniest video. It was a video, I'm not lying. It was road rage. It was a road rage. You ever watched a road rage video before? It's a little sad. It like breaks your heart a little bit. You're like, these people, poor things, they are bound by their anger. But this one was so weird because it was in a foreign country. Maybe it was South Africa. But what had happened was is you didn't see the first encounter. You only see the second one. So you just see this truck come up in front of this other large vehicle and cut him off and stop, hit the brake, slam, and then get out of his car. And he comes up to this big, and it's like a, it's like a driving RV, kind of a big van bus thing. And, and I that's all you're seeing thus far. And he gets out and he's banging and he's yelling. You can't totally hear what he's saying. And then like he does this for 20, 30 seconds. And then finally on the other side of the car, four mascots, fully dressed mascots get out of the vehicle in full headgear. The first one looks like that little squirrel from Ice Age with that big old, and they literally come walking around the car. I mean, four of them. 
And they literally go over to that dude and push him, and then one of them punches him, and then they start fighting. And then eventually the four mascots have him on the ground, and you know, they're like this, and then they're kicking him with giant squirrel feet. It's the best. I don't know that like, don't judge me. But I thought that was funny, because I thought if you got road rage, you might deserve to get beat up by furry creatures, woodland creatures, because you're angry. And I thought, so, so there's, there's things, which, it's, sometimes it's cool because like social justice is, issues, you can know about stuff, you can find out about stuff, you can help causes, you can just, oh, there's all kinds of ways that social media is good. So let me just put it like this, social media, it's great for so many things, but it, it's not always great for my soul. It, there, there's, I'm telling you, there's a brand new set of temptations that we're facing today that they didn't have to consider 10 and 20 years ago. It wasn't even a possibility. We are so exposed to a massive amount of information unlike we've ever been exposed before. We're exposed, think about this, we now have the ability to follow people's lives almost by the hour, follow what they're doing by the day and get in on their, and follow people in a way that we would have been arrested as stalkers in previous generations. And now we invite people in to do it and we put it and we, we, again, we just put it out there for all the world to see. And it's creating some soul issues. Now, listen, I, I'm not saying this. Well, I'm saying this. I'm not the only one saying this. This is what like just researchers are saying. I want you to think about this. This is what there's, there's like multiple university studies that have come out now. And what they're saying is this, is that they're tracking people who are watching Facebook and following Facebook and following these social media things on a regular basis. And all the surveys show them that the people who do this are end up being less satisfied and more critical of their own lives. That one third of the test subjects felt significantly worse about themselves the more time they spent on Facebook. And they talk about feelings of isolation. They, have, they talk about feelings of being left out. There's this, there's this whole thing where they get into, as a matter of fact, let me just read this part of it to you. This is interesting here. It says, the study, the study suggests that those who use Facebook more often are less satisfied with their lives and are actually less healthy. That's crazy. Than those who are more judicious in the number of times they log on. As the Wall Street Journal noted, to put it boldly, the more times you click like, the worse you feel. So they're showing you that what happens is, is because you have this overexposure to looking into everyone's life, that by virtue of being able to look at everyone else's life, which by the way, you're looking at everyone's highlight reel, you end up comparing their highlight reel to your everyday mundane life. Like, I don't ever see like, hashtag just went on poop patrol, hashtag just did the dishes, I don't see those. It's like, it, it's all the cool stuff that they do. It's all like the fancy meals that they eat. It's all the great trips that they take. I got a person right now that's in Europe and they are flooding the Facebook waves with all the, their European adventure. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. You're in Europe. Okay, that's enough. And so, um, and then like people with their food and you got people with their everything. And, like, and then somebody with your kids, it's, it's just everything. It's, it's, one, it's whatever your deal is. And we're following it. And I'm telling you what happens is by virtue of us constantly looking at what's going on in other people's lives, it is by default that we compare it then to our, 
our own lives. It, it, is, it is something that many of us are doing on a subconscious level even. We're not even fully aware of it. And so my point is this, is that the constant comparison of my everyday life to other people's highlights produces something the Bible calls envy. See, the Bible knows, like, like the human soul hasn't changed for 6,000 years. We're still the same. The way we're being attacked or tempted or being messed with or how it's affecting us, that might change. But at the end of the day, there's all these root things, these sinful things that get down in our heart. And when we live a life of comparison, we cannot help but to eventually look at their life compared to our life and think, I want some of that. I wish I had that. Why can't I get more of that? If only I could do this or have this or have these things. And we live a life that ends up becoming incredibly discontent. And so the point of today's message is, is really about helping you restore contentment to your life. Like there's something about us being at peace, being thankful, being locked into our relationship with God and having contentment. Because there's something that you can't put a price tag on sometimes. And it is your peace of mind. It is how well you sleep at night. It is how at peace your heart is. It is how great your relationships are with other people. You can't put a price tag on all that stuff. And a lot of that stuff flows out of our sense of contentment. We're going to restore that today. But let's look real quick here at this. Because I need to define what I talk about envy. I, I want to define like different types of envy so you dial in and the Holy Spirit speaks to you. So here, here's some different kinds of envy that we deal with. Some of us deal with just materialism envy, right? You're driving down the road, you got your car, you look over and see their car and they got the brand new this, the awesome this, the supercharged that, the twin turbo that, the, the XL version of this. Like, it's just like, and then, you, and then you look at your car and you're like, my car's lame. I want that car. Like, why can't I have that car? And, and, or, we, or you know what? You drive through other people's homes or other neighborhoods and you look at other people's homes and then you start looking at like, like magazines or you start looking at images on, online or whatever it is and you look at all these fancy things that they have in their home and you start looking at your home. And you're constantly looking at just materialistic things. You're looking at the brand new iWatch and thinking, I, gotta, I don't even got a watch. I, don't, I got the no watch. And they have an iWatch. I don't even want an iWatch. You know what I really want? I, I want the iWatch to eventually like make my phone obsolete so I don't have a phone at all. I just want to watch. That, that'd be, because then I feel like Captain Kirk. Like, do, do, do. And that's what I want, but it's not, it's not there yet. Yeah, I just, that's what I want to do. So, beam me up. Um, but you look at other people's, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, all kinds of stuff comes up. There, there's appearance envy. Like some of us, some of us look at the way that other people look. We look at their body or we look at their hair. Or we look at like some of their clothing. We think, man, I wish I had that body. I wish I looked like that. That's why dudes are getting calf implants. Come on, somebody, you got issues. If you're getting calf implants because you want bigger calves. Um, don't skip leg day. Um, hashtag, don't skip leg day. Anyway. But we look at other people's bodies and wish I was bigger here. I wish I was skinnier here. I wish I was taller here. I wish I was shorter here. I wish I had all these things. And really, I wish I had their nose, their lips, their hips, their eyes, their... Now we're tripping. Um, some of us, there's just relational envy. You know, like I know people that, that are single and they look at people in a relationship and they think, man, I just really, really want to be in a relationship. I feel lonely. I wish I had that what they had. I wish I, wish I had a guy like that. I wish I had a girl like that. And, and they're in relational envy. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes you're in a relationship and you're like, I wish I was single. 
I, I want to be single. Please, you know, like, and you want out. But, but there's relational envy. Sometimes there's marital envy. This is a little bit different. This is, where, this is where you're happy being married. You just wish your husband was more like their husband. Or you wish their wife was more like their wife. You know, like, like I, it's not that I don't want to be married. It's that I, I actually wish my wife were more like that person. And we're sort of, man, got quiet up here. Um, <laughs> hey, this is, a, this is a crazy one. Parental envy. There, and, and, and this is kind of foreign to me. This was introduced to me. But like there are certain, like, like there's a temptation amongst parents to look at other kids and then to think your kids aren't as good as their kids or aren't as smart as their kids or aren't as athletically gifted as those kids. And then you start putting pressure on your kids to try to measure up to be more like their kids. And what you don't realize is the blessing that you have. You, you, what you don't even realize too is that sometimes other people looking at your kids praying to God, they're wishing they had kids like your kids. You don't even know. But like there's a weird dynamic parental envy. And then there's talent envy. I have talent envy uh, towards Joanna. I really do. I, I think there's a worship leader in my heart. I wish I was a worship leader, but I can't sing. And so I look at people that can sing and be like, man, I wish I could sing. Or we look at like, I wish I could do that. I wish I had those gifts. I wish I had those talents. And you know what we're doing? We are constantly focusing on everything that they have. We, our eyes are not on God. Our eyes are not on what we have to be grateful for. We have so missed the point and we are generating something in us. And, and let me just tell you real quick here. This seems fairly innocent. Like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. You know, as long as this doesn't control you, I'm telling you, you need to listen to this real quick here. There is a dark side to envy. Listen to what James said. As a matter of fact, James says it so well. James says it like this. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, he puts it in quote because he's making fun of it, like that, that ain't real, that, that, that wisdom, um, does not come down from heaven, but it's, it's earthly, it's unspiritual. As a matter of fact, it's demonic. So he's saying when you harbor envy in your heart, you need to know there's a dark side to it. There's a demonic nature to it. There's something evil about it. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. He goes, hey, you need to be careful. Because here's, here's how you know. There's a certain level of envy and it's bad, but it's where you're constantly wanting what other people have. But it eventually moves to an even, that's dark, but it moves to a darker version of envy. And the darker version of envy is when you begin to look at other people and then you're secretly happy when they fail. Because their success, even though you want it, it begins to rub you a little bit wrong to the point where you're like, you know what? <laughs> that didn't go well for you, did it, sucker? Um, you're glad? Hey, it, all right. You ever looked on Facebook? And then like, so I got a 20-year high school reunion coming up, right? So now you know how old I am. We got a 20-year high school reunion coming up. And I got invited into the high school reunion Facebook page or wh- whatever it is. And, and then like, you know, so all of my old school classmates are on there and I was like, oh, let me go and check out. And, and then, and then I gotta be honest, there was a little darkness in my heart right there because I saw this dude that was a punk in high school. He kind of picked on me and I didn't like him and I thought he was a punk. And, and, and I saw, I'm like, yeah, that's what you got. You had, you had that coming sucker. And so I was secretly like, yeah. Yeah, that's probably what you deserve. Because you can look back at people in your past and you're kind of glad they're not as pretty as they used to be in school. 
They're not, not as successful. They, you know, they, they, they didn't turn out as great. They, were, they ended up not being as smart as you thought they were gonna be. Their life didn't, and you're secretly happy that you're better, your, your life is better than theirs. There's a darkness in our hearts sometimes where we secretly want that person to fail. We're glad when rich people lose their money. We're glad when their relationships fail. We're glad when their kids get into trouble and we rejoice when they fail. That's the darkness of envy. Because it says, not only do I want what they have, but eventually, I kind of hope God takes away whatever they do have from them. And there's a darkness in our hearts. Where does this all come from? James says it's demonic. The idea of you constantly looking at other people's stuff and wanting it, and eventually at some point hoping that they lose it, he goes, there's a darkness about that. There's an evil to it. It is demonic in nature. And so you need to be aware that at no point in time in history have you been more exposed to this. No human beings at any point in time out of all of history have ever been exposed to what you are being exposed to, particularly in the area of comparing your life to others and then it driving us into envy. And I want you to know like that stuff's demonic. We're going to get rid of it today. And so we're going to drive that out of your heart and we're going to restore basically that sense of peace and contentment to your life. Here's how we're going to do it. Number one is this, we're going to restore contentment because we're going to guard our mind from comparison. So the very first thing we're going to do is simply this, is I want you to get so locked into this idea that comparison is wrong. Comparison's not healthy. Comparison's not wise. It's leading towards envy. Whenever I, I sense myself in my mind going down that road whenever I sense myself imagining and daydreaming and surfing Facebook and be like, ha, 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 yeah. And so whenever you go there, you need to like take a check and say, no, that's demonic, that's evil. Look at what the apostle Paul says. This is fascinating. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says this, we do not dare. Say, don't you dare. Don't you, don't you dare. Did your mom ever say that? Yeah, like that was like mama letting you know, like, mm-mm, don't you, don't you dare. Oh, my God. Don't you dare. What happened? See, I told you envy is demonic. There's a bug. Yeah, okay, look, we, we don't need that. You, you guys can take notes. Um, so, so listen to this. He says, do not dare classify or compare ourselves. He said, don't you dare do that. He said, we don't compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So the book of Corinthians, if you don't know, is largely a corrective book. It's him saying, hey, y'all missed the boat. Y'all are crazy. Y'all need to be like back in order, back tuned in your relationship with God. And he said, in one of the areas that y'all are tripping is the way that y'all begin to compare yourselves to one another. And this whole thing of comparison, it is not wise. So you need to just have that like guard your mind and just know comparison is not wise. Why? And here's why it's not wise. Because eventually it's leading to pride or envy or selfishness or something weird. Because here's the deal. If you compare yourself to other people and you think your life is better than them, what do you do? Your life is driven towards pride. If you don't, you compare your life to someone else who has a life better than yours. You're driven towards jealousy and envy. Do you know what that means? You can't win. Unless you find the one human being in the universe that has the exact life as yours, which by the way, that, does, that doesn't exist. That's it. You're either better and you're arrogant and prideful or you're less than and you're envious. And let me just tell you this, you're almost always going to be less than 
Because it is by human nature that, that I, I guarantee you they would want a lot of things about your life if they really got to comparing everything. But you can't help but look at the things that you don't have and the things that they do have. And you'll always tip the scales in their favor and drive yourself towards envy. And so this is why we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that really mature people are aware of their thought life. Like immature people, their mind just runs its course all day long, and you're kind of oblivious to what your mind is thinking about. You think your, your mind is who you are, and I'm telling you it's not. Your, your thoughts are just things that you have. I know that's true because you used to think differently, and then you, at one point you changed your mind, now you, now you think differently again. So your thoughts are not who you are, they're just something that you have for that moment. And mature people are aware of those thoughts. They're aware of what their mind is doing on a regular basis. This is why people who maybe are mature people, when they get angry, they're like, hey, I'm angry right now. They have self-awareness. They're aware, hey, I'm having some really bitter thoughts right now. I'm gonna stop that and I'm gonna change my mind. The Bible says this. Or, or if you were thinking, again, envy or jealousy, you'd stop your mind and say, whoa, my mind has gone down this path. I'm starting to compare. That's envy. That's not good. I need to just be aware and guard my mind from envy because mature people are aware of their own thoughts. And mature Christians are aware that not not all of your thoughts are self-generated. Meaning sometimes thoughts are introduced to you from outside sources and you need to know like your spiritual enemy wants to drive those thoughts of jealousy and envy in you because eventually it will lead to all kinds of evil in your life. So you need to start with just simply saying, hey, I need to be so aware to protect my mind, to guard my mind, to be aware of my thoughts so that I'm not driven towards envy. Number two is this, is that you need to discover the source of contentment. Let me say that again slowly because you can't. Oh, no, no, we're back. Can you give him a hand back there? I don't know what you guys did. Hashtag, you're awesome. Um, so, so you need to discover the source of, of real, true contentment. Because like, if you keep going into these arenas of, of Pinterest this and Facebook this and, and Twitter this, and you start seeing all these things, it, you're just constantly going to be tempted with this discontent life. I'm telling you, you drive yourself in the other direction. You got to discover what the source of contentment was in light of that. Listen to what Paul says. Philippians 4.12 says this. It says, I know what it is to be in need. And that's true. He did. And I know what it is to have plenty. And that's true. He did. If you don't know who the apostle Paul is, he's this man who was an incredibly successful, probably wealthy, well-to-do, socially established guy in the religious community, was a Roman citizen, was basically on the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. He was incredibly, he had tons of accolades, tons of titles. He was very well-to-do. This man had plenty, but then he became a Christian. And then he started like literally traveling the known world, sharing the gospel. And he got beat up and he got stoned to death, and, and, but he wasn't really dead. And then he got imprisoned. And then, I mean, like all kinds of craziness. And what he's saying, look, I've had in my life times where I was, everything was great. And I've had times in my life where it was, it was awful. But listen to what he says. But he goes, in light of that, I have learned the secret. Everybody say, there's a secret. There's a, there's a secret. Don't you love that? That's like clickbait right there. Discover the secret to contentment. You're like, oh, I need to know. <laughs> or if they give a number to it, discover the three secrets to, consent, to contentment. And you're like, oh, I want to know what the three are. What are the three? What are the three? Isn't that clickbait? Yeah. I'm telling you today, the five secrets to contentment. This is number two. It's to discover the secret of contentment. Um, so he said, I've learned the secret of being content and in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or I'm living in want. And then this is where we find that scripture. Do you guys not have that anymore? It's only over there. See, I've got it there. It's there. Okay, so we're good. 
So, so here's where this scripture comes into play that we quote all the time, and Tim Tebow has it on something, and, and we, we, we rally behind this scripture. And it's a great scripture, but we, we do kind of take it out of context a bit because, like, we think I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and you think you're going to dunk a basketball, but really you're 5'8", and you're white, and it ain't happening. So you're, that, that scripture will not help you dunk a basketball. This scripture is in a context, and the context is what? Hey, I know how to live where things are rough, and I know how to live where things are good. I know how to be content in every situation and in all things because I can, and really what the context is, is I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. And see, the source of your contentment is your personal relationship with God. Like, I've never had people come out of times of prayer and times of worship and times of study and their heart be filled with envy. Those are two different and opposite places. Those are two different opposite trajectories. You cannot be focusing and worshiping and diving in to the things of God and be moving towards envy at the same time. It's not. And so it's in God that you find your peace. Or if you want to write this down, ultimately, it's when you, excuse me, I lost my place. It's that, it's that envy is my lack of satisfaction with God. And it's this belief that God owes me, owes me more. That's where envy comes from. But see, when you dial into God, what you realize is, is that no matter, no matter what's going on around me in any of my circumstances, when I realize that God is all I have, I realize God is all I need. But envy is the opposite direction. Do you see that? It's thinking God owes me more. That's why I wish I had that. Why don't I have these things? Why can't I have more of that? I wish I had what they had. It's believing that God somehow owes me more. But when we move into the source of contentment, we move towards God, we realize, actually, I don't need any of those things. God is all that I need. He's the actual source of my contentment. Number three is this, if you're taking notes and there's only one screen to take notes from. Number three is this, is you need to practice gratitude. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you want to word it differently, you need to form a habit of gratitude. As a matter of fact, we, we did something this year with our daughters where we actually had them do a journal and it was a gratitude journal. And what they had to do was like, a, you know, every week they had to go in it and start like, hey, I want you to go write down like three things that you're really thankful for. That's a habit. That's a practice. That's, uh, you're not seven or 10, but I'm telling you like, that's what you need to do. You need to have a habit of gratitude. You may need a gratitude journal. You need to make a practice of it because here, here's the deal. Like there, there's so many of us, that when we, when we think about our car and we start looking at that other person's car and we say stuff like, man, I, I hate my car. My car's stupid. I wish I, wish I had their car. What, what you ought to do is, is be able to recognize, okay, because if I'm guarding my mind from comparison, you're like, whoa, 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 what am I doing here? I'm comparing my, my hoopty to the, to the Bentley. That's probably not wise. My mind's going to a place that's unhealthy. I'm clearly my thoughts aren't focused on God. You know, I need to, I need to adjust here. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna practice some gratitude here real quick here because what you need to realize is, is that you can pray a different prayer. You can say, God, actually I'm thankful that I have a car that still runs. I'm grateful that I'm blessed to be in the 8% of all people in the world who own a car. That'll put some perspective on it. I'm just glad, I'm just glad I got a jalopy. You know what? If it makes weird noises, that's just character. You know, if it's got things, if I have to give you instructions when you borrow my car, that's just character. That's all that is. But the, the fact is, I'm still, and, and again, it's unwise to even compare yourself, but to think again, there are so many people who don't have a car, and here I am complaining. 
about my car, I'm being a little ridiculous. Again, thinking about your home and you're driving through other people's homes or people are posting pictures on Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or whatever these things are I don't know about. Uh, And and they're they're posting their stuff about their home and you're like, man, I I wish I had marble countertops and why don't I have a new bathroom and why can't I have crown molding and why don't I have new carpet or why don't I have a second story or why don't I have a garage that my car doesn't fit in anyway because I just fill it with other junk. But, But instead of that, what we could say is, thank you, Lord, that I have a roof over my head that I have indoor plumbing that works because half of the people in the world do not have clean running water in their home. That's different, huh? That's different, but it requires a habit and a practice to say, God, I am thankful. Listen to what the Bible says. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 15, this is is fascinating. He says, for the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy of heart, life is a continual feast. Leave that there for a second. I want you to think about this. Solomon is making a, a, an incredible observation here because what he's saying is this. He says, you get what you look for in life. If you're despondent and discontent in life, you know what you find? You find every reason to keep being discontent. He goes, for the despondent person, you look around and you just find things to complain about, find things to be grumpy about, find things to be critical about. And you know what happens? It finds you. He said, but the opposite is true. The happy of heart, meaning literally their attitude and perspective on life is the only difference. It is a continual feast. So the difference is this. Here's the difference between happy people and unhappy people, really. It's not the difference in their circumstances. It's just what's in their heart and how they choose to think about the world around them. And he's saying, you need to choose to be a happy heart, choose to be grateful, and watch what happens in your life. Watch what Paul says in Thessalonians. He says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Why would that be the will of God? Like, that's the plan of God for you to be grateful, because what gratitude does in your heart It's the very opposite thing that comparison does to your heart. Comparison leads you to envy that says, God, you owe me more. But gratitude leads you into a totally different place where it says, God, thank you for all that you've given me. Do you see the difference? And it all begins when we practice gratitude. Number, if you're writing this notes down, this is a great thought. Envy is when you resent God's goodness in other people's lives and ignore God's goodness in your own life. Yeah, just, and just making a list, making a, a, a list and saying, God, I'm gonna, God, thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my church. Thank you for that I have a job right now. Thank you that I have a car. Thank you. I have, and just start listing and start going through it. I promise you, when you find yourself wanting to compare, wanting to become a little bit envious, again, you're guarding your mind. You're moving towards the source of your contentment. And then you're all of a sudden saying, you know, I'm gonna let this flow out of my mouth and watch what happens. Watch what changes in my heart. Number four is this, intentionally celebrate others. I almost put the word um, forcibly celebrate others. And I thought that's, maybe that's people are gonna be weird. If you like are one of those people that misinterpret what I say sometimes, you're gonna like grab somebody like, no, I celebrate you. So, but I almost put that word because I'm like, There's something in us when somebody else succeeds. When we have pride in our heart and someone else succeeds, we feel like we die a little inside. Where does that feeling come from? It comes from the pride within us. It comes from the envy within us. 
We are actually jealous that they're succeeding and it makes us feel like we're not and we're jealous because of it. I'm telling you, you've got to make a total shift in your heart and say, you know what? I will drive envy out of my heart and so I'm going to force myself to celebrate them. So they got that job promotion when you think you should have gotten it. You know what I want you to do? I want you to go intentionally celebrate them. I want you to know, hey, I'm proud of you and I'm so glad that God blessed your life and I'm so glad that, because this is what I believe and I believe there's a sowing and reaping process here. I believe that what you celebrate in other people is what God will eventually do for you. But as long as you have envy in your heart, then there's no, then, then what, what would God gain by giving you what you, you envy? He would only be further corrupting your heart. <laughs> so how many of you want God to be able to bless your life more than it is now? Then you have to drive envy out of it. Then you have to celebrate other people to pull that off. Number, uh, Romans chapter 12 says this underneath number four, intentionally celebrate others. This is a great scripture. It just says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Meaning like if they win in life and they succeed in life, I'm going to intentionally celebrate them. I'm gonna do a handwritten thank you note. I'm gonna go say something verbally to them. I'm going to, for and watch what happens. When this happens and you start doing this in the very early stages, it will feel uncomfortable. It will feel unnatural. You will feel yourself forcing you to do it. Do it anyway. Just keep driving through that envy, keep driving through that pride and watch it melt off of your heart. You keep celebrating those people. But it also says the same thing too. He says mourn with people who mourn. Remember that dark side of envy that gets a little bit happy when they fail? He goes, no, you don't do that. You drive that out of your heart. You know what you do? You go cry with them. You go hold their hand. You go weep with them. You go and apologize. You go, you say, you, you offer prayers and condolences. You do whatever it takes. You rejoice with those who rejoice and you mourn with those who mourn. And by doing so, we drive envy out of our heart. Number five, and lastly, and we're almost done is this, is I want you to get practical. Like there's a practical element to driving envy out of your heart. And it's simply this. Some of y'all need to get off Facebook. Some of y'all need to take a Facebook vacation and say, hey, I'm gonna get off Facebook for a week, for a month, for three months. I know people that, I remember the political cycle was so awful that I know people were like, man, I can't handle this no more. Like, and they were just saying, hey, I'm gonna take a break until this political season is done or whatever. But like just getting practical and saying, maybe I need to take a break from social media. Maybe I need to hide certain people that drive me crazy, that trigger that envy. Maybe I just need to hide. I could still be, because apparently you could be friends, but not see their post. And that's probably what you need to do with certain people. You need to stop ordering magazines, stop watching HDTV, stop going to the boat show, the car show, the gun show. Maybe you need to take a break from all those things because what you're doing is you're flooding your mind and your heart with everything that you wish you had instead of being grateful for what you actually do have. Instead of moving yourself into the source of contentment, you're moving yourself into the source of envy. And you need to get practical and say, I need to take a break. I need to take a pause. The research study even showed like just the amount of times per day. You might want to say, hey, look, I, and I know, I know people that do this. They literally put a time limit. There's an app that you can get that does this. You can get an app, and when you attach certain um, other apps to it, you can say, I'm not allowed to look at Facebook for more than X number of minutes per day. And it literally shuts you off for 24 hours when you've hit your limit. You know why they have that? Because we got issues. The struggle is real. There's something interesting in the Garden of Eden. When God created Adam and Eve, it said that he created Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life. Then for Eve, he didn't make her out of dirt because she's pretty and clean. And boys are dirty. Um, and so he, he took the rib of man and out of rib he made woman. And it's just this incredible kind of like image of how God created man and woman. But it says that, uh, that the man and a woman would, would come together 
and become one flesh. And then the very next verse says that in essence, and you can read it, it says Adam and Eve, or Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That word there, no shame, it actually is probably better translated there was no disappointment. I want you to think about something. They were in the Garden of Eden alone. And there was no disappointment because there was no comparison. Do you know that Eve could never be like, well, do you think she's prettier than me? Eve could never be like, oh, do you like that dress on her better than it looks on me? Eve could never have to wonder about like who he used to like have a crush on in middle school. They never had to worry about that. He never had to, she never had to worry about what he was checking out on Facebook. She never had to worry about that. They didn't have Facebook. And apparently there are no other people in the garden at least. And so I want you to get this idea of what they were in is, is they were naked and without any disappointment because there was no comparison. I want you to think about what Eden is. Eden is an environment where there's nothing to compare yourself to. So you're not comparing your life to other people's life. You're certainly not comparing your average everyday life to their highlight reel on Facebook. You're not comparing what you have to what they have. You're not comparing your house or your car or your clothes or your ankles or your lips or your hair or your, your calves. Don't skip leg day. You're not comparing any of that to anyone. You've created an Eden-like environment where you say, you know what, I'm going to practically block out the opportunity for comparison whenever and wherever I can. That's what we want to produce in our lives. And you only do that if you get practical. Last scripture, and I'm going to pray, is this. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, says this. It says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Huge perspective here on life. For we brought nothing into this world, and we take nothing out of it. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are with us that you are the source of our contentment, you're the source of our peace, God, that when we realize that maybe at times and seasons of our life, you're all that we have, we realize, God, you are all we need. God, let, let all of our relationship with you drive our peace and our contentment. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that we would be so wise with our thoughts, that we would be so mindful of what's going on in our mind at all times, that, Lord God, we would be so mindful to drive out envy and pride from our heart as we, as we express gratitude and as we celebrate others, Lord God. I pray that you give us the practical steps to take, God. What is it that we need to cut out? What is it that we need to remove? What is it that we need to cut back on, God, so that we can create an environment of peace and contentment with you, God? God, help us to overcome this struggle. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, and we all said amen, amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.